This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode of Open Mind is sponsored by very.co.uk. I can't believe I'm already thinking about Christmas for the kids. And did you know that very.co.uk have all the biggest brands everyone is talking about, such as Barbie, LOL Dolls and Frozen? Just go to very.co.uk and search Christmas. Hi and welcome to Open Mind with me, Frankie Bridge. Joining me today is Kat Sims. Hello, thank you for having me. Um, And some of you might know her as Not So Smug Now. You've got a blog and your Instagram where you're very open and honest about pretty much anything, I would say. Yeah, much to my husband's annoyance a lot of the time. (laughs) (laughs) Had some awkward conversations about, did you have to post that? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah. What made you start that? It was after I'd had Billy, my first. It was back in 2013, and about eight months in, I genuinely was looking around going, why have I done this? I found that transition into motherhood so, so tricky. And actually, at that point, I hadn't been diagnosed, but I was sort of later diagnosed with quite severe postnatal depression, Mm -hmm. which I guess looking back on it was really, like, glaringly obvious. But obviously at the time you think, well, I've got a newborn that doesn't sleep and I'm exhausted and, of course, I'm going to feel like shit. But, yeah, so I started the blog because I just thought, you know what, I need to write something and I've always been a writer and it was my way of kind of getting it down and getting it out there. And when I wrote it, I remember publishing it on Facebook, like just my personal Facebook. I hadn't even really started the blog, but I'd written this piece. And within about an hour, it had had... 3,000 views and that was just like my friend sharing it and sharing it and sharing it which now doesn't seem like a lot but at the time was like that's in less than an hour and I've had 3,000 people reading this and just messages coming in and in and it was the first time I'd said it's okay to not enjoy motherhood like it's okay to find this hard and this hard and to want to put them out by the bins occasionally (laughs) you know we're sold so often this version of motherhood that's like it's natural and you'll just slip into it and Mm -hmm. when it doesn't feel like that you just feel so like you failed. So that was kind of what the blog was about, where it started. And from then on, I've just really made a promise to myself to be as honest as possible about anything and everything. Did you find before having Billy, did you ever have any problems with your mental health before that? Or was it just a complete shock? No, yeah, no, I was a bit mental before that as well. Okay, yeah, because I knew you before, so I felt like maybe you were. (laughs) (laughs) little inside knowledge. No, I was completely mental before that. I think I was about... Probably 26 or 27 when I was first diagnosed with depression. But, and I didn't have Billy till I was about 30, 31. So I'd had sort of two or three years of quite tumultuous mental health issues, just not really being able to get the right meds, not really being able to really, not really doing any therapy either, just like relying on meds. Mm. And actually looking back on it, when I think through my teen years, there was probably some elements of depression during that as well. I mean, it was never even considered that a teenager would have depression or mental health issues. But when I look back on it, I'm pretty sure that there were definitely periods of time where I was struggling. And what got you to the point then to actually go and get the help or the medication? Oh, my God. It was Christmas. And for some reason, 
all my older brothers and sisters were away doing other things. So it was just me and my mum and dad at home at Christmas, which was really, mm. that was enough to send me to the doctor. Yeah, I myself. remember the first time my sister wasn't there at Christmas because she's older. And I was like, this is this sucks. It, it's really yeah. rubbish. <laughs> and also it didn't help because we'd all gone, well, we're not going overboard at Christmas. We're just going to get you, like, everybody's having small presents. We're like, fine. And I opened my presents on Christmas morning. And I shit you not, my mum had given me six pairs of black socks and a steering wheel lock. <laughs> Bearing in mind, I'm already not very well at this point. Like, we haven't really got down to the nitty-gritty of it, but there's definitely something wrong. I love that they're black as well. Black. Not yeah. even, like, a glittery pair of socks. No. Six pairs of black socks and a steering wheel lock. And I was just... And, and I that literally tipped me over the edge because I was like, nobody knows me. I'm all on my own. I feel so isolated. Even my mum doesn't know. If she'd have thought about it, she could have got me a pen and a journal. Like, that would be me. Oh, no. None of that. So this six... Pairs of black socks and steering wheel lock was kind of pivotal. And I think it was Boxing Day that I got an emergency appointment or maybe the day after, maybe we couldn't do it Boxing Day, but it was the day after where we got an emergency appointment. And I just remember sitting in that doctor's, wherever you are, the, the room. room, the doctor's room. <laughs> and, you know, they ask you those, like, ten questions yeah, yeah. on the scale of, like... I hate that. Do they give you a form? Or do no, he just asked me verbally, but I remember answering these questions and they get kind of gradually more terrifying. Yeah. And then they add up the numbers. And then they add up yeah. the numbers, they give you a score based, yeah. which is which is like the worst kind of test ever. Yes, the worst because exam ever. It's like the higher you score, the more fucked up you are. Yeah. So I was like, oh. Anyway, I scored pretty highly on that. Well done. Yeah. One of my life's great achievements. <laughs> and he initially, like immediately sort of prescribed me Prozac, fluoxetine at the time. Mm, always. It's always the first one. And didn't really talk to me about therapy or kind of alternative. Didn't talk to me at all about, like, looking after yourself in terms of sleep or exercise or how that could help. It was like, yes, you're depressed. Here are the meds. Take these. You'll feel better. And actually, that medication didn't work for me at all. And I came off it fairly unbalanced as well. And then it just, over the last over the next couple of years, just really struggled to figure out something that would work. I was put off from the meds because mm. that hadn't worked. How did your parents react to this at the time? Listen, to everybody listening from Yorkshire, please don't take this as a personal offence because I'm also from Yorkshire, but they were really northern and Yorkshire about it. Right. And they were like, come on, just pull yourself together. Like, but I think, that's an, I think that's an era thing as well because I think everyone's kind of taught to either brush everything under the carpet or just get on with it. Like, yeah. you'll be fine. Yeah. yeah, a generational thing. Yeah, and also, that's what I meant. Yeah, but also my mum... You know, and I love my mum a lot, really. I, I love you a lot. But um, she's not great at being vulnerable. And, you know, things like saying sorry for her were always really, really difficult. And admitting weakness or whatever it was was always difficult. So I was, sort of grew up seeing that. And it was very difficult at first for me to look at that and go, no, actually, that's not how I want to deal with this. And maybe that's why I'm so open to sharing no, I've gone like a completely My dad, who's really posh, goes, darling, I'm not sure we needed to share that. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we did. <laughs> but actually, to give them credit, the more they saw me and the more they talked to me about it and the more they kind of were open to the idea that maybe this wasn't just me being a bit difficult, like maybe there was actually something wrong they started to really get on board and be really supportive. And now they're very conscious of that. And dad's always very much like, well, you just know that you need to look after yourself. And, mm. you know, if you because when you get run down, when you get over overstressed or overwhelmed, 
you know that you, you know you could end up getting depressed again and you know you just need to look after yourself on that and he's very open to that and doesn't sort of brush it away anymore but I've got other family members that still struggle to kind of really accept it as a thing oh really yeah I think sometimes people look at you and because you are perhaps really confident and you're outgoing and you go out and you know all of that thing they sort of think well, you can't be depressed. You can't be depressed. You know, yeah. you're achieving. You've got a successful business. You've got a family. You know, you've got a husband who loves you and all of these things. How on earth can you be depressed? And, of course, that's uh, not how it works. It's just yeah. not how it works. I think if someone's never, ever been in that place at all, it's so hard for them to get their head around it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's a bit like motherhood in that way. It's like until you've actually done it. <laughs> yeah, you have no you idea. Have absolutely <laughs> no idea. So I guess so. I guess in that sense, it's hard to it's you can't explain it it's very difficult to understand so I guess you just sometimes have to rely on kind of the open-mindedness of people to Mm. kind of get support from them really and then so when you had Billy before you had Billy do you feel like you were in kind of a better place yeah and I think when you're pregnant a you sign you sign a lot off to sort of hormones but actually I had a really good pregnancy with Billy and I think you're just so preoccupied I do remember seeing you afterwards because you came to mine and I remember you saying you were struggling and I was really surprised because like you say and even though I'm someone that struggles myself with my mental health I was shocked when you said it because I don't think I'd seen you vulnerable in that way before yeah and because of my relationship with Jimmy your husband Kat's husband <laughs> was basis for the for Saturdays, Saturdays. Um, and I got on really well with Jimmy um, and I tour managed you for a little yeah, bit yeah and Kat tour managed us and I think we've always all had kind of a similar sense of humour which yeah. is why I got on so I've never seen you Jimmy always used to say that you were like his tour wife <laughs> Whenever he goes That's on true. tour, whenever he goes on tour, there's always like a oh, girl. Well, yeah, he always needs a girl. It just needs something to like look after him a little bit. <laughs> but he's always got a girl, and he was like, "Yeah, Frankie's my tour wife." Well, like, okay, so I'm okay you, with that. So, do you draw ginger pubes on signs and stuff? <laughs> Because that's what I used to do. I think maybe that maybe you got that from you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I'd never seen you in that way. So I think I was quite surprised that yeah. you kind of opened up. I think a lot of people are, but I think also that's why I'm really passionate now about talking about it because it's very easy to look at people and make assumptions. And I don't, on the face of it, look like I'm, I suffer from mental health issues. And in fact, a lot of the times when I talk about it, not a lot of the times, but occasionally when I talk about it online, on Instagram or on the blog, I get the trolling messages that I get are ones that are like... Oh, you, did you get trolling them oh, because of it? Oh, God, so. What what do they say? In fact, I got one the other day that I posted because I don't normally give them any airspace because I just am like, do you know what, just ignore. But I got this one and it was at 6.30 in the morning and it was like the first thing I, you know, it's like the first thing you see yeah. in the when you wake up. And I read it and it said something like, if you keep shitting on about your mental health and all of this stuff, but never actually respond to anybody and never give any of your followers any of your time, then people will just think you're a fucking sociopath. And it just went on and on and on and on and on. on. I think I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just remember thinking, well, that's rubbish. But also just really thinking, actually, I think it scares some. I think some people feel quite put on the spot when they read that stuff. I think maybe they, I don't know whether it's because they see their own, like they can recognise it resonates. But some people definitely kick back on that. And they don't like it. And I don't know whether it's just because they feel uncomfortable. They don't want to hear about it. Maybe they just don't like me. That's fine too. Mm. But yeah, when I get the trolling stuff, it's very easy for me to kind of take that on board. And really, like, I have to work really, really hard to let that go. 
yeah. and to recognise it for what it is, which is, it's them. Yeah. Like, it's not, I can't even let it in. I do think that takes a while to be able to do. Yeah, I think so too. I think the first few times you get them is like a sucker punch. Yeah. And then after that, I just block and delete. But this one really did because it really was off the back of quite a vulnerable post. Yeah. I just thought, no, I'm not having it. And I posted it. And actually, as soon as I put it out there and posted it on my Instagram and everybody just read it and their reaction was really normal, like, that's horrendous. Mm. It just went from being this massive thing inside my chest and my head that, like, felt overwhelming to being this tiny little thing that I didn't think about anymore. Mm. But, yeah, trolls are hard. Yeah, I always find, like, for me, most things I can kind of let go. But if it's something I've already been thinking about myself, yeah, and then they kind of, like, hit the nail on the head, I'm like, see? Yeah, see? Yeah, yeah. That is confirmation of everything rubbish you've ever thought about yourself. It's out there in the world, so it's true. You know? Do you get trolls still? Um, you know what? Generally not. Like, I'm quite lucky I don't tend to. But if I do, you know what? I get, I just get more annoyed. So, like, I had someone say something like... She accused me of, like, retouching one of my pictures. And I was just like, you know, I I would normally not respond because it was something so small. Yeah. But I was like, first of all, you're being a bit rude. And second of all, I don't want other people thinking that I have. So I was like, actually, I haven't, blah, blah, blah. She then went on to reply and was like, oh, um, it's just you look fuller in the rest of your other pictures. And I was like, what? Yeah. Why? Why would you... Why would you say that? So then I found myself looking through my pictures, saying, I do, I, do I look fatter in my other pictures? And then I just was really pissed off with her because I thought, why are you going around saying stuff like this to other women? Like, Yeah, totally. And also then you fall down the rabbit hole yeah. and then it turns into all sorts of... And, and then, then other people started abusing her and then I always felt bad for her because I didn't want people to be mean to her. And I was just like, this is just ridiculous. But generally, I get away with most things yeah. nowadays. How did you then go from not knowing you had postnatal depression to knowing I being, had post- yeah, diagnosed? After having Billy, it was a really rough start. Like the labour was really traumatic, not because there was anything necessarily wrong, but because I was woefully underprepared and had all these ideas of how it should be. And obviously when it wasn't, I freaked out and that made everything really bad and we had crash carts in and all the rest of it. So it was everything was fine, but there was a lot of drama. And I think that really set the tone for kind of how I was going to bond with her and I really struggled to bond and it's really difficult to talk about because when you talk about that and I talk about it, try and talk about it quite honestly, but obviously I'm quite conscious of the fact that I, you know, I'd obviously have to have a conversation about like what Billy's going to read. But I'm also very conscious of having that conversation with her. But I really struggled to bond and I think a lot of it had to do with the traumatic birth and then breastfeeding was just horrendous just you awful mastitis and everything I'd ever, like yeah. I'd everything I'd, like it's really sexy like mastitis and thrush of the nipple like it was nice. horrendous yeah and I just remember finally giving into bottle feeding and at the time there was quite a strong chat about this bottle versus breast mm-hmm. and every time you mentioned a bottle somebody like felt the need to call you a terrible mother but I remember calling my midwife after no not my midwife the, the people that come to the house whoever they are and they um, and said, listen, I really need... I was, like, sobbing, going, I've given her a bottle and I just need you to tell me I'm not a terrible mum. And she went, well, you can always undo the damage you've done when it comes to weaning, was her response. What a bitch. And from that point on, I just think my confidence was completely knocked. I felt overwhelmed, exhausted. Jimmy was home for the first month and then away for six months because he went on tour. 
And I just felt, and we live in London, nowhere near family. I didn't have any family around. And they were as great as they could be, but they were still in Yorkshire. It was still a long way for them to come. And I just was lost and isolated and lonely. And I think gradually over time, it just became worse and worse. And I think it was really when Billy was, she just turned one. And I think it was something about that milestone. You know, you sort of look back on that year and you're like, Mm. I can't believe they were. And I just looked back on that year and, and, I mean, I didn't have a breakdown, but I just remember absolutely losing it, going, this isn't right, I can't do it. I still was looking at her, and even though instinctively I would have, like, jumped in front of a bus for her, yeah, I just couldn't feel that, like, overwhelming sense of love. Yeah. Like, it was a very instinctive thing, but I just hadn't got to that point, and I knew it was... And, of course, I hadn't said anything, because it just makes you feel like the worst mother in the world, why I don't really think I love my baby. Because no one ever talks about any of that stuff. No, but and when I do overwhelmingly people are like thank you for saying this like it's and it's fixable you know thinking when you talk about it and if you try and you go to the people to whoever it is that you get help from you can overcome that that lack of bond you can find that and it does come back and like now I'm closer than ever with Billy and I adore her but I do remember thinking I really need to get help for this because this isn't normal Mm. so that was quite a while though that was a whole year of like yeah. Well, I think it. because Jimmy was away for seven months, I just it was survival at that point. Like I was on my own. I was still working part time. And I think it was just survival. I think I was like, right, head down, done. And then when he got back, there was that time to kind of relax a little bit. Mm. And he would come back and he'd be really conscious of having been away for so long. So he would just take Billy and like, like, you can have a rest now. I've been away for so long. I'll take Billy. And then I would just sit there on my own and I wouldn't really like I would genuinely think, oh, don't come back, like, don't come back from the park or don't come back from wherever you've been. Like, I just, I don't want anybody in the house. I want to be with anybody. And it was as I sort of had time to process those kind of feelings, I was like, no, there's something not right, for sure. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Open Mind, the podcast, is sponsored by Very.co.uk. Very is the go-to destination for all things fashion. Get ready to shop the latest must-haves, accessories and beauty so you can land the Topshop look from head to toe. Just go to Very.co.uk and search Topshop. Do you think you knew there was something not right because you'd been depressed in the past, maybe? Like, you kind of can see the signs a bit. Yeah, I think it took me so long to recognise it because, as I, like, as I said before, I, I think I just put it down to having a newborn and just yeah. being tired and finding it hard. But once I really sat down and Jimmy came home and I had the space to kind of think about it, I thought, actually, you know what, I need to really look at this because I can see... All those like telltale signs for me are like like isolating, not wanting to get in touch with anybody, not picking up the phone, sort of not having any motivation to do anything, not being able to think, keep anything straight in my own head. Like normally I'm a big list person. Like I wake mm-hmm. up every morning and write a list of the stuff I need to do. And like I couldn't even pull my head together to write a list. I couldn't even think of one thing. 
but I knew that there was all this stuff going on in my head. So when I feel those things, and complete like lethargy, I don't want to leave mm. the house or get up or get out or anything. So when I had time to like assess it, I was like, yeah, there's something not right. And so I went to my GP who was absolutely amazing. And she was actually the GP that I saw like in the early days when I was really struggling with breastfeeding and things. And I remember being in there for half an hour, 45 minutes sobbing. And I do remember her kind of looking a little bit at my husband and sort of saying, I am a little concerned. Mm. But I think I just sort of pulled it together and, and carried on. She's like, OK, you're fine. And then when I went back after a year, she was like, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. She was like, I'm not surprised and don't worry, we can fix this. Um, and she was the one that I went back onto antidepressants and she was like, you need to get some therapy as well. So I did. So you did? Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> what I did. And did it take you a while to feel better or...? Yeah, it took me a lot. It took me a while, a long, a lot longer than normal to feel better in terms of having been on medication before and kind of going through the first horrible two, three weeks of meds, which are just horrendous, mm-hmm. and then coming out the other side. It took me a lot longer, and I think that's why I needed to do the therapy because it wasn't just like mental stuff that was. It wasn't just a case of writing whatever the imbalances were in my brain. There was just so much guilt over because of the last year of me going. I've been the worst mother. Like, I haven't really known how to love her. Every time I'm with her, I was wishing that I wasn't. Whenever she was away, I was hoping she wouldn't come back. Like, dealing with that guilt was, even to this, like, I still do therapy, and even now, this still comes still up. comes up, yeah. In various But don't things. you think guilt is one of the biggest things with depression? Like, for me, I still talk to my therapist about the same guilt that I've had since I was a child. And know, it's like... Yeah. Just fucking get over them, Frank. But yeah. I, I can't. You can't. I can't. They always well, come back. They do. They embed themselves in like things we, which are completely unrelated. Yep. And then I sit down with the therapist and I'm like, this is I, this is how I've been feeling. And I'm really... And she's like, well, hang on a minute. Do you think this could be tied in with this? Do you think maybe this is what you're doing? I was like, oh, mm. maybe. Yeah, that's probably what I'm doing. I do think guilt is one of the biggest yeah, and it's crippling. parts of it. It's horrendous. It's really, really crippling. And it's so easy to say, you know, to put up a fancy tile on Instagram that's like, ditch the guilt. Yeah. But it isn't that easy. And honestly, I've been working so hard in therapy to deal with that particular thing, that particular year. Which you had no control over. And no control over. And you know that. that. I know. My rational brain yeah. knows that. But sometimes when I look at it, like in little Billy's eyes and she'll say something like, oh, you never love me, which is what all like six yeah. year olds do when they're pissed off. I go like that. <gasps> oh, she knows. She knows. <laughs> she knows I never loved her. <laughs> and it's really, and it's obviously it's ridiculous, but you're, you know, there are parts of you that, and I think this has kind of been my biggest journey and kind of managing my head stuff is recognizing like what are the stories I'm telling myself that aren't true like I respond to the fantasies that I'm telling myself so like when I when Billy goes you never love me I'm immediately telling myself that she knows all about my mental health issues she knows that I wish she never came back from the park when she was like seven months old Mm. you know she knows all of that and then I'm off and then I'm gone and like falling down the well of guilt and actually she's not saying that at all you know, like, she's literally she's just not like, even thought about I want the blue said. plate. Yeah. That's all she's interested in. <laughs> um, so I've really had to stop. And whenever I see myself feeling very anxious about something or really starting to go down that hole, I kind of have to stop and go, OK, what is it that I'm telling myself? And is it true? 
But I think that's hard to do on your own because I do that. I like catastrophize everything. Yeah. And then I could be thinking that for like a month and then I'll go to therapy, say it out loud. And then instantly I'm like, yeah, that's really stupid. Um, But I have been convinced by that for the last month. And it's that's why I'm always just like, just talk. Because the minute you can talk about it, you do realise sometimes how silly, and I don't mean silly in like a mean way, but how much you've, wound yourself up well how not based in reality yeah Yeah. (laughs) like it's absolute you've literally created it all and I do it all the time like if I send Jimmy a text and he doesn't reply I'm like by the time he gets home I'm raging Mm. I am raging and he's like what what happened (laughs) what 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 have I done or not done you know and I'm and I that's when I have to stop and go all right he was in the studio all day he's not had any service because they're all underground pretty much and he's just got in He's not like being a dick to me. Mm-hmm. He literally just didn't, you know, answer his text. So I really, I really, really work on that. And I think the communication, like just talking about it, is key. And I don't really know what it is that makes me completely unashamed to talk about it. I don't know where that comes from or why. But do you think it kind of makes you feel better? Yeah. Because I do find sharing things. As much as I, everyone's like, oh, it's so good that you're so open and, you know, you're helping loads of people. And I'm like, but it helps me. Having yeah. other <laughs> people reply to me and go, oh, my God, you've hit the nail on the head. I was yeah. feeling really rubbish today and you have just put in words what yeah. I was feeling. I'm like, oh, OK, cool. That yeah, makes this me feel good. Yeah, this isn't a you. totally selfless <laughs> act. Like, it's all about me. Yeah. You're basically my free therapist. Yeah, but it's true, though, isn't it? It is. Well, having people go, yeah, me too. It's yeah. Like, and I think doing it the first time is always the hardest, yeah. actually. Like, you know, whether you press publish on a blog or whether you call a friend or whether it's speaking to the doctor, saying those words for the first time, like, I'm really struggling or I need help or I'm depressed or whatever it is, is the hardest thing you'll ever do. But it's like ripping the Band-Aid off. Once you've said it once, it's easy. In fact, I met up with... I mean, just follow Catch. doesn't stop. It's <laughs> always banging on about mental health. <laughs> But I met up with a friend at the weekend who's also like suffered depression on and off her entire life, and we hadn't seen—I haven't seen her for maybe a year. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Hi, how are you?" She's like, "Depressed." And I was like, oh. "I love you for that." <laughs> She's like, "Because the more I say it, if I just say it, it's done, and then I don't feel so bad about it. Otherwise, I'm sat here going, oh, 'Oh, I'm not, you know.' It's Otherwise, hard. you're sat there pretending. Pretending. Mm. She's like, and then I was like, "Okay, fine." that shit but let's have a coffee and you know have yeah. a chat and if you don't want to do it if you don't really, if you don't really want to chat then that's fine too it is that pretense thing and that's what my biggest like yeah. revelation has been since like talking out about it and telling my friends and my family and everyone is I don't have to pretend to anyone now it's yeah. not that I get to walk around and be miserable all day every day like <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. sometimes I think that's how it comes across that's not what you're saying it's just like I can meet up with you and go, yeah, I'm just been feeling a bit rubbish. Doesn't mean we won't end up laughing and having a good day, but it's just then it's done, it's said and it's out there. Yeah. And I think as well, it's one of those things that it kind of makes it a bit easier for other people as well. Like it Mm. makes it, even if I hadn't, like even if you said it to somebody who hadn't suffered from depression, I think sometimes if you go, do you know what? I'm all right. I'm just feeling a bit like not well, but Mm. I'm here and I'm fine. I think they're like, okay, fine. But did you find once you talked about it, I got this for a while. Once you talked about it, every time you met people for the first time after you'd sort of said, I'm suffering from depression or whatever, did they sort of look at you a bit like that and go, how are you? Yeah. A bit like the lean-in whisper. Are you okay? Yeah. You'd be like, yeah, yeah, I'm fine. I know I wrote that stuff about being depressed. Like, I am, but, like, it's not. 
it's yeah, fine. It's not a big, yeah. I think it's because people just don't know how to, yeah. and they're like, just want to talk about it. I should probably talk about it, but I just talk about it. Quick. Yeah, yeah. And then how did you then, because then when you went on to have Bo, did you feel like better prepared? No, shit scared. I was oh, okay. absolutely <laughs> terrified because I genuinely didn't know how my body, I did, I was like, I don't want to go through that again. Yeah. And I had no idea, you know, you've got no control. No. So I was like, I don't know how on earth to do this. And lo and behold, kind of three months into the pregnancy or four months into the pregnancy, I think I'd whipped myself up into like an like an anxious mess because right. I was like, this is not going to go well. I was looking down the barrel of another year of misery and I was like, I don't want to do this. And again, stopped like telling myself that fantasy that it was definitely going to be awful. And actually, I made the decision to go back on to antidepressants when I was three months pregnant, four months pregnant. And obviously that was... A lot of people were like... Controversial. Controversial. Yes. And, you know, there were side possible side effects that I was risking. But, I mean, there are side effects to everything when you're pregnant. Mm. And for me, I just had to make the best decision for me personally. And I knew that being depressed and in charge of a newborn had not worked for me before. Mm-hmm. That hadn't turned out very well. So I had to do something different this time. And I thought... And I weighed it all up. And in the end, I decided to do that. And for me, it was very much the best decision I could have done. Loved the pregnancy, had a great birth. Like, I literally, I don't want to be pregnant again and I don't want another baby, but I would hoof another human out of my love tunnel. Oh, you sound like my best friend is exactly the same. Oh, God, it was and I'm amazing. like, you weirdo. <laughs> the first <laughs> one to, was shit. The yeah, second one was like, to, like amazing. Diminish everything that anyone that's ever had a natural, because <laughs> yeah. I have no idea, because I've had two C sections. But like, she hated her first yeah. and then had her second one. And her second one was really quick. And she's like, literally like Mother Mary about it. Like, yeah. oh my God, it was beautiful. And she tells it. And I'm like, shut up. I know, I hate myself when yeah. I talk about it. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually kind of a dick about it. I'm, <laughs> I just get to a point, I'm like, oh my God, I did this and I hypnobirthed it and then I had a home birth and I did it in a pool and it was three hours and I pushed hours and didn't even take a paracetamol and, oh, then, well I, and then I want to punch myself in the face because I'm like, stop being that idiot. Like, nobody cares. But well done. Thanks. But it was very much a conscious choice to do something different. So I was like, I'm going to hypnobirth it. I don't want to go to the hospital. But do you think that's like a part of control because I'm starting to notice while I've been writing my book a lot of my stuff comes back to control and I had no idea because I everyone always says oh you're really laid back and I'm not controlling of people that's not but I think yeah just like how life works I don't like that I don't have any control I think you're right and I think a lot of that from the very extensive research I've done are you talking to my mates (laughs) I think a lot of that comes from people who at some point for some reason felt a little bit unsafe in their childhood. Mm -hmm. And I think that can be for whatever reason, absent parents or, you know, anything. Mm -hmm. And I think you want, you then grow up wanting to control that stuff, like control life and control your environment and all of that. And I definitely, I mean, I'm a, self-confessed control freak but what <laughs> but I'm not so I'm always it's been like a real revelation for me it's really weird I think my husband's a bit the same actually I think like, oh, really? when we've because we've done some like relationship therapy a lot of relationship therapy and I think he's realizing the same thing he was always like you're so controlling and he wasn't wrong but I think he now is realizing that over certain things he's he like is. hang on a minute I do have an issue with letting that go yeah I do have an issue with like 
not keeping that in that little box where it's it should weird, be. It's weird, isn't it? Yeah. So maybe going into your second pregnancy, like you said, you wasn't prepared for the first one. Yeah. Do you think maybe it was like that, okay, like I've practised for this? and Well, I think what I realised is that there were certain things I could control and certain things I couldn't. Whereas the first time I was like, I'm controlling everything. I actually handed, oh God, you know, you look back on yourself before children. <laughs> Oh God, I'm so, I, was, I think I was probably insufferable. But I like my birth plan, I'm really embarrassed to say it, was like four pages colour coordinated and oh, laminated. Oh, what just in case someone got it? In case, yeah. <laughs> Once a tour manager, always a tour manager. And I was like, and I handed this over and now I look back at it and I just can only they imagine what like, the midwives would like. Whatever. Screw that, throw that in the bed. And so that was, what, and so when it came to the second one, I was like, okay, the only thing I can control is my response to this. Mm-hmm. Like, I can't control when she's coming, where she's coming, how she's going to come. All I can control is my response. So that's why I hypnobirth. And I was like, I'm just staying calm. And what about for you and Jimmy then? Because you're always quite open and honest about, yeah. I mean, about everything, but about you and Jimmy and your relationship. And I don't know, like, you spend quite a lot of time apart because of yep. Jimmy's job and then I suppose you're working and then when you are together, the kids are there. Yeah. Do you feel like that changed a lot after the kids? Or Yeah, it, and again, to, in terms of our relationship, having Billy... Um, poor Billy. I'm going to poor really, Billy. I'm gonna have to really sit down with her and talk <laughs> this out. But after Bill, having Billy, that first year really had a massively damaging effect on our relationship and it took us a long time in therapy to come back to that and go... That's Mm. where it really suffered. But actually, obviously, I was sick. I felt, you know, Jimmy did everything he could to support me when he was home, but he would just take her off me. Mm. So there was no real, like, she was just gone and they were both gone. And then I felt all by myself. And I felt like he thought I couldn't look after her. So he just took her away. Which is completely probably not what he was doing. No, it was all these stories I was telling myself. But it was all of this stuff that was going on. And I think there was a lot of resentment built up on both sides because of that. And I didn't talk about my relationship with Jimmy until quite recently, actually, probably in the last six or seven months, because he initially was like, no, that's out of bounds. And then we went through a really, really rough period where it really was kind of, we either shit or get off the pot, like this is not, we can't carry on like this. And I wrote a blog about it and I said, look, I'm obviously not going to post it because I know how you feel, but I want you to read it. And he came back to me and said, do you know what, I think you should post it. I was like, what? Really? Yeah. And he said, because... So many times, like obviously on Instagram and everything, you sell this story, even if you don't mean to, you know, we always put the best bits out there. Even when we're being real, we put the real best bits out there. And And I think relationships aren't spoken. Like everyone kind of now is quite open about mental health. Everyone's quite open about kids and other, you know, not being so amazing. But relationships, I think, is a tough one. Even amongst your closest friends. Mm. Like, even amongst your closest friends, we'll all sit there over, like, have a share a bottle of wine and bitch and moan about how they don't put their stuff in the dishwasher, they just leave it on top of the counter, Mm. and if they do it one more time, I'm going to kill them and, you know, shoes and all the rest of it. But actually, the reality of that is that it can really it can really be damaging to relationships and it can re- and people can feel like they're the only ones who aren't surviving and we definitely felt like that i definitely felt like everybody else was managing to make it work and i couldn't stand to be in the same room as him and he felt the same and so i wrote the blog and it went mental and everybody was like thank you so much for writing it because we are the same but nobody talks about it because you just feel again it's failure and it's mm. and everybody on instagram just looks like having a great time yeah. all the time this is like, thanks to this, every wedding anniversary, this guy, my rock. And I was like, this guy, I want to throw a rock at him. 
Like that's all I'm pushing him off a rock. Like that's how rocky I feel about him. Happy anniversary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, we, you know, again, that we went to therapy and worked really, really hard on that. And we'd been in therapy for a long time, but I'd basically been faking it. I don't know if anybody else has ever faked therapy, but when it came to relationship therapy, I faked it. And I basically In loved... In what way? Like... Well, I loved... Because Jimmy is also kind of a bit mental. I took any opportunity to make it about his issues. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, I quite like to talk, so I can sort of spin a story. I just was like, deflect, deflect, deflect. This is Jimmy's... Like, obviously, this is Jimmy's issue. Yeah, like, like I'm is... outwardly a bit crazy. Yeah, he's... but he's like, yeah. you've got to dig through all this yeah. stuff. <laughs> So I sort of did a lot of that. And then actually, when we really got to the breaking point, I realised that I needed to take responsibility, essentially, for my role in it. And that wasn't easy. Even now saying it, it sort of sticks in my throat a bit. Mm. Um, But I did, because I was kind of being a bit of a cow. And I wasn't really... I was expecting everything from him and not really giving it back. And, I mean, he contributed too. But essentially, I had to accept my role. and, And when I really took therapy seriously and went in there and was able to be vulnerable and honest about that stuff and own it Mm. that's kind of when things really really change and we actually very quickly sort of having been in therapy for about three years within the space of about five months kind of got to us a really strong place and I think sometimes it just takes you to get to rock bottom before you go okay you know now I have to make like a real decision yeah so what tips would you give other people then who, if they're struggling and they don't know how to help themselves, I suppose? what feels like such a cliche, but you've got to tell, tell one person, mm. tell somebody, because it will be the hardest thing that you ever do. But once you've done it, it feels so much lighter. It feels so much smaller. And it doesn't, it's not fixing you. You're not going to go, okay, now I've told somebody I feel great about it. Mm. But you will, the weight of that responsibility will immediately lighten. And even I found just the first time, even just booking a doctor's appointment when I'm not well, even just booking the doctor's appointment makes me go, okay, Mm. now I'm taking control. Like, I can fix it. Like, Mm. we can make this work. So just talking to somebody, whoever that is, um, and asking for that help is really, really important. But also I think... There's so much to be said for the way that we run our life and the way the pressures that we put on ourselves and how actually a lot of that, all of this stuff that we go, we have to do, Mm. I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that. So much of that is a fantasy. So much of that is actually if you didn't do that, what would it be the end of the world? Like look at all that stuff that you're saying, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to do that, stressing you out and really be brutally honest and go, well, if I don't do that, let's cut that out. I don't need to do that. She can do that. And really, really look at that because I think we often put so much pressure on ourselves. And if you continue to do it, it will have a really bad effect on your mental health. So is that what you find you do? Yeah. Just try it. Is that why you do your lists? Do my lists. I do my list and I divide them up into three. So I do my list and I'm like, this is the shit that I have to do today. Mm -hmm. This stuff I don't need to do until then. So I'll put a date by it and then put that on another list. And then this stuff, I can't do anything about this. This is like, <laughs> this is like, fix my relationship. Or it's like, make Billy confident. You know, all of that, yeah. whatever it is, those massive things that you're like, and I just rip that bit off and put it in the bin. And I just think that's nothing. I can't do anything about that. So yeah. dividing it up into that really helps me. And it just makes it a bit smaller. And then the stuff that somebody else can do, I'll hand over to them as well. Maybe I need to start doing some lists. Oh, God, I love a list. I'm going to get involved. I'm stationary. And all, Jimmy's like, I just 
instead of a birthday present, can I just give you 50 quid and send you to Ryman's? I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> I'm so down with that. Oh, lovely. All right, well, thanks, Kat. I Thank feel like, you. I mean, we get to hear so much about you being open and talking on your blog and on Instagram, but... It's nice to actually have a chat face-to-face. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. And we will continue to see the journey of Cat. I know. On Not So Smart Now. (laughs) In all its ugly glory. (laughs) Thanks. 